message this morning is entitled, On Mission Together. On Mission Together. There's something inspiring about a well-executed plan, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in your sphere of influence, maybe it's a a military engagement, maybe it's uh, your favorite sports team, whatever it might be, there's something inspiring about a group of individuals coming together for a specific reason, of, of one mind, of, of one focus, of one goal, and then seeing that flawless execution on that plan to accomplish the, the exact result that they said they were going to accomplish. There's just something special about that. We, we see it, you know, Olympics are going on right now. You can probably all think back at different times of Olympic history and think about, yeah, there was that hockey team or there was that basketball team or this individual athlete that just did something incredible. But at the end of the day, those are fleeting memories. Sure, a military exercise to maybe go and save the lives of Americans behind enemy lines, wow, that's to be celebrated, of course. But there's even something greater than that. There's, there's a mission, there's a goal, there's a purpose that transcends all earthly missions and teams and goals that could be accomplished, and it comes directly from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in Matthew chapter number 28, we're familiar with it. We've visited this passage often. You've probably heard scores of messages on the Great Commission from time and time again, but as I think about what could we as elders share and, and what could we impart and remind us about at this time right now in our history as we are joyfully coming into a new stage of ministry of all that this building can and will offer by God's grace, there's one recalibrating thought that we just can't get away from and that it's this. The Christian life is not about a building. We've heard those testimonies often this morning. The Christian life is about the glory of God. The Christian life is about doing works, grace-enabled works that point others back to the one who saved us, right? Matthew 5, 16. And so as we think about what can we remember and what can we recall, but also as we look ahead, what can we be mindful of and careful about? It's this, that nothing else, a building or otherwise, a program, a ministry, takes the place of the Great Commission. It stands alone as a single goal, our single mission, our single call that we as individual disciples, and yes, collectively as a body of Christ, that we should be committed to and careful to guard and protect anything that would take away from that. So are we excited about all that will come? Yes. But I pray that we are even more excited about new opportunities to go and make disciples right here off Nashua Road in Liberty, Missouri. 
We walk out these doors. We see homes. Those homes represent souls. That will spend eternity somewhere. And God in his sovereign plan has chosen us to be the instrument by which the good news that Jesus saves goes forward. So let's look at this passage, Matthew. Chapter number 28, we're going to start reading verse number 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's interesting that some doubt it, isn't it? They've seen at this point the risen Lord. They've seen a body that was taken off of a cross that was lifeless and 100% dead, placed in a tomb. Three days later, in accordance with the scriptures, that stone was rolled away and Jesus rose from the dead. Amen? He's risen. They, They have seen this with their eyes. Jesus has presented himself to them, and he has told them to go to the mountain there at Galilee, and still some doubted. Why did they doubt? They doubted because still at this point, they had their own expectations of what Jesus should be and what he should do, that they were hopeful that he would come and deliver them from an oppressive Roman government. He was still not fitting into this box. Why? Because he has told them that he's about to go up to the Father. He's going to leave them. He's told them that, hey, it's going to be to your benefit because if I leave, I can send the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost can't come until I'm gone. But still, they are looking to put Jesus in a box. Their own expectations are being imposed upon the personal work of Jesus. And so some doubted. Why? Because Jesus is not meeting their expectations, but also maybe they're just fearful. They're fearful because they're anticipating probably greater persecution. This Roman government could nail Jesus to a cross. What are they going to do to them, right? So they doubted that, hey, is this worth it all? The uncertainty of the future without the one that they had left everything for to follow was scary. In a much lesser degree, there's been times in our own story and our fellowship of 
our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that had some doubts. I've prayed over and over again, Lord, help my unbelief. Strengthen my faith. Through the faithfulness of his church. Through the faithfulness of God's word. He's allowed us to take one step at a time, but there was times where it was uncertain. Fear, anxiety, uncertainty slipped in. But yet here we are. God remaining faithful to his church. Our prayer as elders, as we continue to look forward into the days ahead, is that as a body of Christ, a gathering of believers right here as Liberty Hills Bible Church, that we would stay on mission, how? Together. Stay on mission together. The the Great Commission work was given to the disciples collectively together. Yes, they would have their own individual ministries, but even as we today are following Christ as his disciples, it's a mission that God designed to be completed together in the context of the local church. So there's no Lone Ranger Christians in God's kingdom. He designed and purposed and planned for every believer and follower of Christ to be united in fellowship with the local body. And even as we are on our typical Sunday mornings, we're going through a covenant membership series, going through our church covenant, tying it back to scripture, validating the different uh, aspects of that covenant so that we can be confident that when we gather, it's going to be in a biblical way. And it's going to accomplish the purposes that God has for his church. So these parting words of Jesus to his disciples then are his words even to us today. Jesus is calling us to take this timeless mission and this timeless message and take it to our world that he's placed us. And it's right here, friends. Hope you can get excited about the context by which we now have an opportunity to minister and to fulfill great commission work. It's also in your home. Parents, bringing up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's spouses working together, iron sharpening iron, discipling each other in the word in your relationship with the Lord. As you go out into the workplace, it's being mindful that we work heartily for the Lord and not unto men. These are the ways that we as a body of Christ can be that light, that city that's set on a hill that cannot be hid. This is our hope and our prayer is that we will remember that we have not crossed the finish line today. We, we have not popped it into neutral and said that we now have arrived and we can give this collective exhale and now sit back and get comfortable. No, quite the contrary. God is calling us now that this is a baton that is to be passed. We are taking that forward into the next leg of the journey of the race that God has placed us right here 
in Liberty, Missouri, for such a time as this. The craziness that's going on in the world, politically, socially, everything that's going on, God has planned for this church, Liberty Hills Bible Church, and for you to be a part of that message that Jesus saves, that hope, that reconciliation, that message of redemption that this world so desperately needs. He's chosen you and me to do it. We're going to do it imperfectly. We're going to fail. We're going to stumble. But by God's grace, we're going to keep our eyes fixed on great commission work. Not so that we can pat ourselves on the back, not so that we can check a box that we've done something good, but because God's grace that has been shown to us in Christ Jesus, we have no other choice but to offer that grace to those around us. So friends, I think there's three aspects that are gonna help us stay on mission together in light of Great Commission work, in light of the importance and the prominence and the preeminence of the Great Commission. There's three things that I wanna call out this morning that I believe will help us stay on track, that will keep our eyes focused on that end, our eyes focused on our Savior as we continue to follow him. First is this. God's word must continue to be our only rule for faith and practice. God's word must continue to be our only rule for faith and practice. What do we mean by this phrase, faith and practice? We mean that God's word is our only source of truth. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Friends, we have nothing to offer this community but the bread of life, but Jesus. The word became flesh. That is the person and work of Jesus. We have nothing to offer this world but the truth of scripture and the message of the gospel. It's been our guide up until this point. It's been a sure foundation, a solid rock. In times of uncertainty and distress, it's been an anchor for our souls. The word of God has been a guiding light. So we've navigated through difficult times, difficult seasons. Oh, that you could give that testimony too, I'm sure. Your own life, personally your own struggles, your own difficulties, your own journey, has not the word of God guided and directed you through those times? We don't preach man's ideas, worldly wisdom. We preach the word of the living God, the Bible. So in a world where truth has been watered down, Truth has become relative in this day that we live in. In light of all this, it is so important for us to make a stand on God's word and to love our neighbor enough to tell them that truth is absolute. Show the love of Jesus. Message of salvation. 
So God's word must continue to be our only rule for faith and practice. Second, biblical unity must continue to be our relentless and steadfast pursuit. Biblical unity must, be, uh, must continue to be our relentless and steadfast pursuit. This one's uh, quite intriguing because when you think about some of the jokes or um, comments that uh, some people make about churches, right? The, the old church split over the color of the, the carpet, right? I think it was Dave Welch or Andy last week as we were having another little family chat. We haven't had the opportunity to have a church split over the color of the carpet because we've never had carpet. <laughs> but now that we have carpet, let's not be that church, okay? That, that's the message here, right? Biblical unity must continue to be our relentless, uh, relentless and steadfast pursuit. You notice that I say unity and not conformity. We're talking about unity around the essentials of Scripture. If we're not careful, there could be a tendency to slip into the trap of attempting to promote external conformity over doctrinal unity. Conformity is temporal. Unity is able to withstand challenging circumstances. Unity is able to endure deep loss. Unity is able to press on even in the midst of persecution. I think of Paul's words to the church at Ephesus, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. How? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in how? Love. Verse three, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. I love that passage of scripture. It is dripping with the language of biblical unity. And friends, if we're going to move forward in this new season of ministry, if we are going to, by God's grace, be faithful and consistent and being that city that is set on a hill and being a heralder of the gospel, friends, we have to pursue intentionally and purposefully biblical unity. I love that word, eager that Paul uses there in chapter four? Does that word stick out to you too? Eager to maintain unity of the spirit and the bond of peace? Oh, friends, that the Lord would give us the grace to eagerly pursue unity. What is eager? It's a desire. It's a longing. It's a disposition that will not settle for anything less then unity. So this eager brother, this eager sister in Christ will labor and pray for unity. They will have the words of unity on their lips and they will demonstrate works of unity as they interact with others in the context of the body of Christ. Biblical unity must continue to be our relentless and steadfast pursuit. I can't help but think of 
the high priestly prayer of Christ in John chapter number 17. You'll remember this passage as we went expositionally through the gospel of John a number of years ago. But Christ is praying back to the Father in one of his final prayers before he goes forward with the crucifixion. We see the heart of Christ in this prayer back to the Father. Jesus says this, I do not ask for these only, his immediate disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who might that be? That's us. We are, Jesus prayed for us. Do you get that? Right there in John 17, he prayed for us, those that that will believe. In me, through their word, he prayed this, that they may all be one. He goes on to clarify that. There's a a quality of this unity that Jesus brings out here that's so unique. He says that they may all be one. How? Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world, for what purpose is this unity accomplished? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The validity of Christ, his person and his work, the validity of of that reality in our day hinges, namely, as Christ says in John 17, on our unity. Unity is not an afterthought. It's not just, oh, it's nice if we get along. Unity is an active part in our evangelization to the world. Unity is an active participant in our discipleship with one another in the context of the local church. So friends, don't sit on the bench in unity. Be proactive in pursuing one another in this way, in this Trinitarian Description of unity, this is the depth and the quality that God desires for us to love each other and interact with each other, to meet each other's needs. It's incredible. Biblical unity. Let's not compromise on it. Third and finally, there's so much more that could be said, friends, but I'm going to finish with this, this third element. The glory of God must continue to be our only goal and aim. The glory of God must continue to be our only goal and aim. God's word must continue to be our only rule for faith and practice. Biblical unity must continue to be our relentless and steadfast pursuit. And then finally, the glory of God must continue to be our only goal and aim. Colossians chapter number one, the apostle Paul says in verses 27 through 29, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. That's the mystery. And Christ in us, it is the hope of glory. Verse 28, Paul says, him we proclaim. 
warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. We often speak of the glory of God, do we not? We use that phrase often in prayers and services. It's in books and conferences. It just rolls off of our tongue as part of our Christian lingo. But what are we actually saying when we are to pursue the glory of God, that whether therefore we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it to the glory of God? What does that mean? And how do we demonstrate that glory in our church, in the community that God has placed us in? Friends, I would contend that we bring God glory, namely when we rightly present his person and work to this world. Glory simply means this, a a high renown or, or honor that was won or achieved by notable achievements. A high renown or honor that was won by notable achievements. There are certainly some notable achievements of God, namely being the creator of all things. He's worthy and do all glory that we can and should offer. It is the magnificence And the beauty of the Lord, this is why God created the world and us, simply to bring him glory. So friends, this is our longing. It is our prayer that God, through his humble church, that he has gathered right here in Liberty, Missouri, that we would put on display the glory of God. I just, I'm overwhelmed as you think back that God in his sovereignty, as you think about every individual person and family unit, whether you've been here for years or whether you just came through the doors for the first time, that God in his sovereignty has placed us together for this service. There are no accidents in God's kingdom, there's a purpose and a reason that the church has gathered together right here today. He has ordained that Liberty Hills Bible Church move into this neighborhood and this community so that the glory of God might be known in another small corner of the world. And that world is right here. Oh, that the glory of God, his magnificence, his beauty, his notable achievements would be known in our community. How do we do this, friends? We do that the proper presentation of God's word. We preach and teach the scriptures. This message and our current series are a little bit unique and quite frankly, a little uncomfortable for us as elders. We love going verse by verse through the scriptures expositionally through the word of God, but There's times and places where we can hit a pause and and have a a challenging uh, sermon from the Word of God, and I, I hope that this is an encouragement to you. It's stirring you up. But we do this through being committed to being faithful to God's Word. We must preach Christ and Him crucified. 
Paul mentioned in that last passage that we read there in, in Colossians. He mentioned, it is him we proclaim, warning everyone and everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. He goes on in verse 29, he says, For this I toil, struggling with all energy, that he powerfully works within me. Friends, there is a struggle about the Christian life that is nothing to be ashamed of or to shy away from. It's called sanctification. It's called God setting us apart for his purposes and for his work. Day in and day out, Allowing us to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We could park on there a while, friends, but let's embrace the struggle that is the Christian life. Let's welcome each other into our lives. Let's not hide away from an opportunity to say, brother, sister, I need prayer. Brother, sister, I'm struggling in this area. The time of Plain church, if you have or if I have, that time is, is, is gone. There is too much at stake. Eternity is too real and an adversary is too real for us to sit on the sidelines and play church another day, another week, another month, another year. God is calling us to go. And by God's grace, we must go. For our families, for our children, for our spouses, for each other, for this community, for lost world friends, we must go. Change can be often scary, but change can often be very good in recalibrating who we are, what we're doing, what tomorrow can and should look like. It's never too late, friends, to do the right thing. Whether you feel like you've maybe wasted a week, a month, a year, multiple decades, God is in the business of redemption. God is in the business of using broken vessels to shine the light of Jesus. Can we pray, friends, that God would give us the grace to have this testimony in our community? Not so that we can further the name of Liberty Hills or any individual elder or leader or person, but so that Christ would be known, and so that he could receive all the glory that is due his name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray even in my broken presentation that you would use it in a way that I could never imagine, that your spirit would plant a seed that seed would take root and grow. It would bear fruit in the days ahead. And 
Father, when it's all said and done, I pray that simply we would, we would follow you in the simplicity that is our church and the inadequacies that are our, our church. Let us remember that you have brought this church together, every hand and arm and leg and ear you, you fitly joined this body together so that when it works together, it can and will build itself up in love. And when that world looks on and sees that love, that supernatural love that makes no sense, you use that to draw men to yourself. Father, we pray that you would have your will and your way in our church. We humbly submit to your plan. We pray that we would be faithful to it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.